Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, this is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. One in four Jewish Americans has been the target of anti-Semitism in the past year. That's according to the American Jewish Committee. And it's on the rise. Kanye West, or Ye, is only the latest in a series of public figures reinforcing dangerous stereotypes. Condemnations have come from corporations and politicians. But how are American Jews reacting? For some, it's complicated to respond to anti-Semitism in this time of heightened tension in the U.S. We'll find out why after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Tomorrow marks four years since the mass shooting at Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, that killed 11 people and injured six. Since then, anti-Semitic violence has only increased, and according to the Anti-Defamation League, a record number of incidents were reported last year. This year in January, a gunman took four people hostage at a synagogue in Texas before he was killed in the standoff, and this month, rap artist Kanye West spouted anti-Semitic rhetoric, which a hate group amplified with banners on a Los Angeles freeway overpass. Adidas has cut ties with West, who goes by Ye, and he's been suspended by Twitter and Instagram. The corporate response has been vocal and definitive, as have statements from some politicians and leaders of Jewish organizations. But some individual Jewish Americans have expressed discomfort at formulating a response appropriate for the current context of racial and political tensions in America— This hour, we look at the effect recent anti-Semitic incidents are having on American Jews and how they think about their identity. And we want to hear from you. How has the rise in both overt and coded forms of anti-Semitism affected you? You can email forum at kqed.org, post on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at KQED Forum, or you can call us 866-733-6786, Joining us today is Dov Waxman, professor of political science at UCLA. Waxman is the director of the UCLA YNS Nazarian Center for Israel Studies and holds the Rosalind and Arthur Gilbert Foundation Chair of Israel Studies at UCLA. Dov Waxman, thanks so much for being with us. Also, Emily Temkin is with us, author of Bad Jew, The History of American Jewish Politics and Identities. She's the senior U.S. editor for The New Statesman. Emily Temkin, glad to have you on as well. Glad to be here. And Emily, I'll start with you. How have you been responding personally to this moment, this recorded rise in anti-Semitic incidents? 
I have to say, and I don't want to overstate it or make it sound like a sob story, but growing up, I, I grew up on Long Island in a town that did not have many Jewish people in it, although towns around it certainly did. And so I was not a stranger to personal anti-Semitism, right? So to kids making jokes about pennies or, you know, even, even parents saying things like, oh, that's a good university, but there are a lot of, uh, there are a lot of Jews there. Um, so I, I, I wasn't surprised. I'm not surprised by the fact that there like is anti-Semitism in our society. What I have been struck by over the past several years is how much anti-Semitic rhetoric um, there is now in our political discourse and how much is coming from, you know, purported leaders um, of this country, in this country. And so that I think is the thing that I'm having a hard time. And I think that many of us, right, are, are having a, a, a hard emotional and intellectual time grappling with. Yes. Dov, similar or have how have you found yourself reacting to it the rhetoric or the incident well absolutely like emily I, i've uh, personally experienced anti-semitism myself on a kind of social basis um but i think the last few years have really been uh, very shocking to me personally to see uh first of all the very overt very public unashamed displays of anti-Semitism. I mean, most notably, we can think of the Unite the Right rally. Um, the, the emboldening of far-right groups and the growth of far-right groups has been really uh, alarming and worrying. And then, as Emily noted, the, the ways in which um, far-right discourse and ideas have now been uh, penetrating into mainstream American political discourse and rhetoric, uh, particularly in the Republican Party. And that's really been a, a very disconcerting development because it's something that I think um, Jews in the United States never thought they would witness a major political party uh, repeating kind of anti-Semitic tropes and stereotypes. Yeah, uh, the shock, um, the sadness, despite its familiarity, and I'm sorry to both of you for the personal things that you have experienced around it. It is a lot. I, I ask about your personal responses in part because I was talking with Forum senior producer Susan Davis, who also it's difficult, but then finds that responding to anti-Semitism is complicated, difficult even because she's white as well as Jewish and is aware of her white privilege. So it makes talking about racism against her complicated. I I'm wondering if that's a familiar conundrum for either of you. Dov, is it something that's familiar to you? Yeah, it is. I think, um, you know, it's, there's a recognition that while um, anti-Semitism is a very serious issue in, in this country and, and an issue that Jews face and that we need to uh, highlight and talk about, uh, at the same time, we need to recognize that Jews are also, many, most Jews in the United States, uh, are also uh, very privileged in certain respects, not only as um, many of them are, are identified as white, uh, but also because Jews in many uh, are flourishing in many areas of American society. They don't experience the kind of structural uh, racism. Uh, institutional racism that uh, black Americans uh, routinely face. And so I think whenever we're talking about discrimination and prejudice, you know, there can be a discomfort because of the kind of difficulty of, uh, of talking about one form of racism while maybe not uh, spending as much time talking about other forms of racism. Mm -hmm. Emily, similar for you or no? I would say three things. The first, and, and you know, this was alluded to, but I just want to make sure that we're really clear on this, is that there are Jews of color, and I just want to make sure that they're not erased in this conversation. Um, the second thing is that two things can be true at the same time. So it is both true 
um, as as Dub says, that that uh, American Jews have benefited from that many American Jews, most American Jews, have benefited from the racial hierarchies of this country. You can go back uh, in American history and see American Jewish leaders quite forcefully arguing that they should be treated like white Americans because they understood that that came with rights and privileges. You can see writings by American Jews who denigrated black Americans because they understood that that would help their own sort of stature in this country. All of that can be true and is true. And it is also true that Jews can be the target of of white supremacy um, and of discrimination. And then finally, something that I think is really important and think about a lot is that anti-Semitism does not work in isolation or is not working in isolation right now in this country. It's working in tandem with other hatreds. So that's anti-Black racism, that's homophobia, um, that's xenophobia. And I think one thing that I find helpful is is to remember that I'm, you know, yes, we are speaking about Jewish people, but we're also just speaking about society more generally, this is a conspiracy that is meant to breed paranoia. It is meant to turn us against one each other, against one another, and it's 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 meant to hurt Jews. Yes, but but not just Jews. Yeah, your book, Emily, talks about the changing nature of the Jewish demographic. You noted that fifteen percent of Jews under thirty are people of color. But do you think that's very well known? No, I don't. I think people have, I mean, I think within, even within uh, American Jewish spaces, many of us have an idea of what an American Jewish person looks like, or maybe what their family's immigration story is. Um, and there is, you know, there, there is sort of this, this overall narrative that your, your great grandparents like mine did came, came over at the early 20th century and your family assimilated and acculturated. And now here you are. Um, but the face of American Jewish life in, is changing. And um, I think sometimes I think sometimes the conversations on this forget that. And so I just I, I want to note that, again, stress that while like I go through life as a white American, I consider myself white. Um, and, and I think everything that I said about, you know, family history benefiting from from whiteness that applies to my family. But um, I do want to make sure that we don't, you know, don't overlook or erase that 15 percent, even while acknowledging that this has been the reality for most American Jews and their families. Exactly. And uh, really glad that you are reiterating that as well. Do you go through life um, thinking about your Jewish identity, like what it means to be Jewish as well? I ask this because it feels like they're also what makes this complicated is there isn't a consensus on what it means to be Jewish. <laughs> is it a, a religion, a culture, a race, an ethnicity? Um, wondering what your thoughts are on that and whether that adds also to some of the complications with the way that people respond to anti-Semitism. Absolutely. And thank you so much for, for that question. I just wrote a whole book on how we've contested and debated what it means to be Jewish and how we've debated these our, our Jewish identities and and thrown the label of bad Jew to, you know, to one another and also applied it to ourselves. So yes, I think about it all the time. Um, I do think that it makes it difficult sometimes, especially because we don't always have the same, we're not always using, I should say, the same definition of anti-Semitism. So, you know, when I talk about anti-Semitism, I'm talking about, and, and Dov is an expert on this, so we should defer to him, but I'm talking about um, a conspiracy that Jews are often an all-powerful force that, that are looking to corrupt and control. And also, I normally stress um, what I think of as sort of a leitmotif of anti-Semitism, which is that Jews are forever foreign. We can live among a people, but we're never really of them, which is why we're looking to corrupt and corrode. Other people will point to criticisms of Israel and say, well, that's really anti-Semitic. So it's it can be hard to have these conversations because, because we don't agree on the terms. Um, and because, you know, people, like I'm, I'm here speaking to you only representing myself. And yes, I wrote this book. And yes, I think about this all the time. But I'm not speaking for American Jews, because nobody can just as nobody can really speak for any 
community or any identity, I should say, in the United States. Yes. Well, Dava, and I also imagine that these complications around Jewish identity can also make it complicated to define what anti-Semitism is in all of its various forms to kind of wrap our minds around it. But I am curious how you define it. Um, how I define anti-Semitism? Yeah. Well, it, um, I think, you know, there are different varieties, if you like, of what we think about as anti-Semitism. So I, th- I, I think uh, what Emily was referring to is, um, you know, one form of anti-Semitism, a kind of anti-Semitic worldview or ideology in which, uh, which is often a kind of conspiracy theory about Jews. But anti-Semitism can also uh, consist in simply kind of negative emotions or beliefs about Jews, um, negative generalizations about Jews. In other words, it can consist of kind of what we would classically call uh, a set of prejudices or negative attitudes. Um, but it can also um, consist of outcomes or, or effects that are anti-Jewish. Um, and this is the same way in which we can think about anti-Black racism. I think actually uh, when we think about anti-Semitism, we should think of it as a form of racism, as a kind of anti-Jewish racism. And so we should understand that anti-Semitism is not simply about hating Jews, um, as it's sometimes seen or is simply about prejudice, it, it can also consist of um, institutional anti-Semitism or, or outcomes that can um, make, make it difficult or impossible for Jews to participate as equals in social and political life. So there are different levels or dimensions to anti-Semitism. Yeah, and we'll get into some of those after the break. We're talking with Dove Waxman, professor of political science at UCLA, and Emily Tamkin, author of Bad Jew, The History of American Jewish Politics and Identities. And you are listening to Forum. Share if you'd like, if you have encountered anti-Semitism recently, how you handled it, what you think about the reactions to it as well, how you've felt about that response. You can email forum at kqed.org, post thoughts on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram, or call us at 866-733-6786. I'm Mina Kim. Stay with us. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking about the rise of anti-Semitism, its impacts, and how to combat 
and respond to the rhetoric. I'm joined by Dov Waxman, professor of political science at UCLA. He's director of the UCLA YNS Nazarian Center for Israel Studies. Also, Emily Tamkin is with us, senior U.S. editor for The New Statesman. Her new book is Bad Jew, The History of American Jewish Politics and Identities. And also you, our listeners, are with us, sharing your thoughts and reactions to the rise, how it's being responded to, and how it's affected you. And let me go to some calls that we're getting. I'll start with Matthew in San Francisco. Hi, Matthew. You're on. Hi, and thank you for having me. Um, So my first question, I have two of them, so take your pick or answer both. But the first question is with regards to Emily's position about um, uh, Jews not presenting as white, but actually being white. And if that's the case, I'd like to know where Kanye West gets off wearing a White Lives Matter t-shirt with Candace Owen, and then within a week of that goes on to lodge death threats against the entire Jewish community. So there it strikes me as obvious that white lives do matter to Kanye, but that Jewish lives shouldn't exist. So if Jews are white, how do you square that circle? And then my next question is in regards to the gulf of consequences between Kanye and Tucker. Like Tucker was doing an interview with Kanye, wherein Kanye said that his children had been replaced by actors. I mean, the man was clearly not in the right frame of mind. And this is a fundamental violation of journalistic ethics. But then to use the testimony of someone who's clearly having a breakdown uh, as, as a national news item to maximally uh, you know, divide Jewish and black communities. That strikes me in order to, in order to like uh, put, set forth his ideas about uh, replacement theory. My question is this, why are there consequences for Kanye, but there's not consequences for Tucker. And isn't it obvious that Tucker is, cre- is using this as a way to create risk mm. between blacks and Jews because it, you know what I mean? And how can we come together blacks and Jews to overcome these obstacles in order to defeat people like Tucker? Thank you. Uh, thanks, Matthew. Let me go to Emily on that. Hi, Emily, go right yeah. ahead. Yeah. So I would say first that, um, that you know, as I said at the, at the start there, Jews can be discriminated against and can be oppressed and can be treated by white supremacists like another while still benefiting from rights and privileges that come with being white under the laws of the United States and not being discriminated against legally. Um as in the same way as other racial minorities. So I would start there. I would also say, and this brings, you know, it, it leads right into the second question that I, I think it's important to remember going back to this, the point that these two things are connected. Um, this started with a White Lives Matter t-shirt. So it started with anti-Black racism, which yes. then led to Kanye being on the show. Um, and to the point about, I, I think this is really important. We know through reporting that they edited out parts of that interview where Kanye explicitly said Jewish. So somebody was very well aware of where the line was, right? You can sort of do what Tucker Carlson does all the time and talk about replacement theory or globalists or elitists and use these little code words um, and just not explicitly say Jewish. Um, You know, Kanye West or Ye stepped over that that line um, and is getting consequences because he said, I mean, he sort of invited them and saying, I could be anti-Semitic and Adidas can't drop me. Well, now we're talking about Adidas's Nazi history. And so now now there are going to be consequences. But I think this is a really important point that um, there were consequences for explicitly saying the word Jew or Jewish and for being somebody who's like clearly, you know, the, the, clearly a, this person, a celebrity, which gets a lot of attention, clearly a person who is perhaps not um fully well, you know, um, I, I don't mean to make light of this. I'm just, I'm just sort of trying to outline the situation and not be... And not for somebody who uses these these dog whistles all the time. Mm. I would just say one last thing, which is that 
Tucker Carlson right now has a documentary out about the candidate Blake Masters, who we know from reporting from Jewish Insider, had a Christian nationalist on his campaign. Um, so if we want to talk about how there are consequences for like this one celebrity and not for our political uh, actors more broadly, I think that's a wonderful example. And that is what you wrote about in your piece. I should um, also let people know that Emily's piece is Yay, Adidas and the Trap of Celebrity Anti-Semitism. But, but you made this point about how, yes, Yay is powerful in his celebrity, and that's why it matters when he says things like that. But it sounds like you are more concerned with the anti-Semitism that is embraced by the Tucker Carlson's of the world. And and I heard echoes of that also in Dov's point earlier about the embrace of it that he sees in the Republican Party. Why does that concern you more, Emily? Me, I think that this was so high profile, you know, it's as, as Ye himself said in 2014, celebrity is the highest form of communication. So it gets a lot of attention, it gets the brands to drop him. But what we are facing right now, in my opinion, is a and, and I and I know Dov has written on this as well, is uh, a systematic reintroduction of anti-Semitism and other forms of hatred to our political discourse by people who have real power to set policy, to, uh, to um, uh, you know, push how elections are run. This is, to me, this is about, this is fundamentally about our democracy and about who gets to fully participate in society and feel like a full member in society. And so, yes, that is more concerning to me than, than what a celebrity says, even one as famous as, as yay. Um. So one of the things that uh, the caller also mentioned was replacement theory. Can you talk a little bit about how that is sort of rearing its head with regard to anti-Semitism and, and how is that familiar? Is that new with regard to the way that it's being expressed? Well, the theory itself is is not at all new. It's uh, been um, around in uh, far right circles for actually for decades or versions of replacement theory. Essentially, the notion that there is a uh, kind of conspiracy to replace uh, white Christian populations with non-white uh, peoples. Uh, that's been expressed in France, for example, in, in a number of European countries, uh, far right individuals and groups have been promoting this idea for many years. And in the United States as well, it's been an idea that's existed in the far right. What we've seen in recent years is the migration of this idea uh, from the far right into um, the the mainstream right. Um, and um, Emily noted, you know, Tucker Carlson, for example, on his show is one of the main purveyors of replacement theory. Now, when he speaks about replacement theory, he doesn't put the word Jew in the center of it. Um, that's something that those on the far right do. Um, so it's more of a kind of uh, coded or veiled form of, uh, of anti-Semitism in that respect. Uh, but it's very easy to go from this uh, theory that there is a conspiracy uh, to uh, replace white Americans to the notion that Jews are uh, the ones responsible for this conspiracy. Um, and so the kind of mainstreaming of this idea um, and now the way in which it's repeated on a very regular basis by Republican politicians, candidates for office, um, is, is a really concerning development, um, not only because it points to this kind of normalization of anti-Semitism, the legitimization of anti-Semitic ideas, but also because we've seen in, uh, over the last few years that this, the, this idea, this theory, um, has led to direct violence, both against Jews and other minorities, um, not only in the United States, but in, in many countries, in New Zealand, for example, in Germany, um, uh, so it's it, this is an idea that absolutely has had deadly consequences, and that's why it's particularly troubling.
Yes, deadly consequences. Emily, you've also noted how anti-Semitism is tied up in conspiracy theories and conspiracy ideas about Jews being all powerful and all controlling and responsible for the issues in society. I've heard people express this sort of catch-22 with regard to responding to anti-Semitism. First, the catch-22 is staying silent about it, and then it persists and gets normalized and part of mainstream dialogue or mainstream in quotes, um, or speaking out. And then if it gets a major reaction, like maybe the corporate one that we've seen, that it affirms that conspiracy theory and then further inflames backlash that can have violent and, as Dov was saying, even deadly consequences. Have you heard that? that it's uh, absolutely, I mean, absolutely. It's it's the trap. It's one of the traps. Um, in that, if somebody ends a rant, I wrote this in the piece that you that you mentioned. If somebody ends a rant about Jewish people saying, and you can't say anything about the Jews, and then they they face some form of consequences for their speech and for their actions because you can't because you shouldn't. Uh, say horrible things about people and not face consequences, then it's, see, I told you, you can't say anything about Jews. Of course, you can say things about Jewish people. You're just not, you you should not, I would encourage you not to say hateful, uh, hateful conspiratorial things about Jewish people. Um, now, personally, I, I mean, I, I really have mixed feelings about the response to yay, not because I don't think there should be consequences. I do, even though, you know, you saw a right-wing pundit yesterday say, well, you know, what he said was bad, but also Jewish people pushing for him to lose his financial support. You know, all of you are cringe and nasty, which like, all right. Um, but I, I, again, I, I, I sort of don't, I think there's been some uh, cheering, like we did it, <laughs> you know, like he, he lost his, his brand tie. Um, and to me, this is a symptom of something much larger. Uh, and I don't really, I mean, I don't feel good about about any of this. And I don't really feel like a fight against anti-Semitism has been won, to be honest. Mm. Well, let me go to Dorothea in Berkeley. Hi, Dorothea. Hi, <clears throat> thanks. Um, so you asked how we feel about this. And I'm Jewish. And the way I feel about it is extreme alarm, because I see the echoes of what happened in Germany prior to Hitler's rise and during his reign. So most Americans don't really know the history of Jews and how every time uh, a, a, a government needs a scapegoat, the Jews get blamed. And this is kind of what's happening here. But the origin of it comes from the white Christian nationalist uh, front, which was created by Father Coughlin. There were many people who were extremely anti-Semitic during the 30s and 40s. They wanted Hitler to win, and they wanted to keep the U.S. out of the war. Mm. So, and this whole concept of Jews being white is a very new idea, because we've never been considered white. We've always been considered Jews stay out along with the dogs. This, when you're not allowed to join this country club, you're, you know, there, this discrimination has only abated in very, the last few decades, and the history of our people is that when every once in a while, as I said, when a government wants to get rid of us or it needs a scapegoat, then we're exiled. So here we have one generation, and it happens to be mine, of sort of goodness overall, where we've been able to get education, get good jobs, and now it's coming to an end. So this is how I look at it. Mm. Once again, this, this society is... Uh, disintegrating, because when people turn against Jews, then the society is falling apart. It's a signal. 
And I think Dr. Waxman could talk more about that. So well, that's my fear. And when we have to figure out when to leave, that that's the big question mark. Oh, Dorothea, appreciate the call. Megan writes, as a child living in the shadow of the Holocaust, I used to shudder when my mother would say, I wouldn't trust that person to hide me in their closet. She's no longer alive, but with the rise in anti-Semitism and so much hate speech, I am hearing her words again with a haunting shudder of recognition. Dob, I am curious where you feel like things are. Emily was talking about how, you know, prejudice against Jewish people won't go away because Adidas dropped Kanye West. Dorothea is sharing some real fears. Megan's also hearing her mother's voice. I'm wondering... I don't know where where you feel like this is and and how much at a fever pitch it is, especially when you well, look at it in historical context. Well, I, I agree with Dorothea that it is important to put the um, the current moment into this historic into a longer historical perspective and to bear in mind not only that you know as as she noted correctly that Jews' whiteness, if you like, uh, is conditional. Um, certainly Jews are certainly not considered white in the eyes of, of, of uh, Christian nationalists, white Christian nationalists, and that there, has, that there is this uh, long history of anti-Semitism in the United States and um, that um, in many ways, you know, that is embedded into American culture and into American politics. And so, um, you know, the moment we're in today is, is not unprecedented um, in that respect. And, but I think we need to put it in, into this perspective because we shouldn't exaggerate the dangers that Jews face today. I mean, there is, I think, this very alarming uh, development we've been talking about, which is the kind of mainstreaming of anti-Semitism, um, the greater visibility of anti-Semitism, particularly due to social media. But if we look actually at public attitudes, if we if we look at American public opinion toward Jews, what we actually observe is a, a, a gradual improvement or a lessening of anti-Semitic attitudes, of anti-Semitic stereotypes among many Americans. Americans um, over the last few decades. Over time, Americans have become more tolerant. Um, so I think, you know, while this uh, rise of anti-Semitism, the emboldening and the growth of the far right, the mainstreaming of anti-Semitic rhetoric is, is very alarming. We need to keep in mind the fact that the United States remains overwhelmingly a hospitable environment for Jews and that anti-Jewish attitudes are actually have actually been historically declining uh, for decades. So I understand why many Jews fear and rightly fear this moment and fear what might come. Um, but I think, you know, we have to have a sense of perspective about the dangers. Um, and I think in many ways, the great what we're seeing, the threat to Jews, as Emily noted before, isn't just a threat specifically to Jews. It's a threat to all uh, minority groups. I and mean, when we've seen not only an increase of anti-Jewish hate crimes, um, but also hate crimes against many other minority groups, I think the bigger danger we're seeing which ties in with the rise of anti-Semitism, is uh, rising authoritarian attitudes and uh, growing polarization and this um, the kind of collapse, if you like, of the firewall that once, ex uh, that once existed between the right and the far right. So this, uh, this penetration mm -hmm. of far right ideas. That's a threat to Jews and it's a threat to many other Americans as well. Let me go to caller John in San Leandro. Hi, John. Hi, John. Are you there? Good morning. Um, go right ahead. You're on. I, 
agree with everything that the, the guests and the callers have said, and I, I'm, I certainly empathize with Dorothea, who called a minute ago. My question is this, as a, for, for purposes of labeling, a liberal Episcopalian and Christian, being upset with the state of Israel and its oppression of the Palestinians who belong where they used to be and have been completely mistreated as, as refugees, how do we make it clear that there is a difference between anti-Semitism on the one hand, which is the hatred you're talking about this morning, and the injustice perpetrated by a government that is theoretically based on the same kinds of scriptures that, that I believe in that call for justice, when that mm. justice does not exist for Palestinians. Uh, John, thank you. Thanks. For that, Emily, I'll, I'll go to you. It is something that has come up a lot, this attempt to define anti-Semitism as to include anti-Zionism, essentially, and how that plays out. If you want, we're coming up on a break, but we can start this conversation and go more into it, of course, afterward. But your initial thoughts and reactions to John's comment and question. Yeah, my initial thought, John, I, I appreciate the question. I do think that while there are some anti-Zionists who, who peddle in anti-Semitism, I think it's important personally not to conflate the two. Um, there are elections coming up in Israel. I'm, you know, I also, you know, am, as, as, a, as a Jewish a, a Jewish American am concerned about some of the rhetoric coming out uh, politically. And I think what's important generally is not to over-assign agency, so not to blame, well, I'm not saying John is doing this, I'm saying anti-Semites do this, to not blame individual Jewish people for the, the actions of a government um, and to criticize, you know, to criticize the government, to criticize the military, to, you could say, to the direction of the country. Um, I think you need to be able to do that without overstepping into conspiracy, overassignment of agency, and ultimately anti-Semitism. That's the short version. <laughs> we'll, we'll have more on that after this break. Emily Tamkin is author of Bad Jew, The History of American Jewish Politics and Identities. And Dov Waxman is professor of political science at UCLA, director of the UCLA YNS Nazarian Center for Israel Studies. We're talking about the rise of anti-Semitic rhetoric incidents, its impacts, and how to respond. We'll have more with our guests and with you, our listeners, after the break. Stay with us. You're listening to Forum. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. 
Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking with Emily Tamkin, senior U.S. editor for The New Statesman, author of Bad Jews, The History of American Jewish Politics and Identities. Also, Dob Waxman. He holds the Roslyn and Arthur Gilbert Foundation Chair of Israel Studies at UCLA as a professor of political science there and is director of UCLA's YNS Nazarian Center for Israel Studies. You, our listeners, are joining us with your thoughts and questions about anti-Semitism, your experiences or reactions to encountering it, struggles you may have had about responding to it, and what your thoughts are on the response to it these days. Email your comments or questions for our guests to forum at kqed.org. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at KQED Forum, or give us a call now at 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. Dov, you've talked a lot about this, where there has been for a long time now an attempt to expand the definition of anti-Semitism to include opposition to Israel. And I'm wondering uh, how, what effect that that has had both among some American Jews, and how you sort of reckon with it or what your position is on it? Yeah, I think um, this is, as you said, this has been, uh, there's been an attempt uh, for some time now to um, to expand our understanding or definition of anti-Semitism to include uh, the possibility, at least, that some criticisms of Israel or some positions vis-a-vis Israel can be anti-Semitic. Um, and this is this attempt has been um, kind of embodied in a definition of anti-Semitism, that, a working definition of anti-Semitism, I should say, that was adopted by the International Holocaust Remembrance Alliance, which is a a broad intergovernmental organization um, and has been promoted around the world uh, over the last few years uh, for adoption by governments, um, by universities, uh, soccer clubs, you name it. So there's been a long campaign to try to kind of have this definition as accepted as the standard or gold standard definition of anti-Semitism. But there are many concerns that have been raised about this definition, specifically the examples that it includes pertaining to Israel and criticisms of Israel. Um, And I I won't go into all of these examples, but there is a concern that uh, that, that some of these examples can be used to kind of conflate uh, anti-Zionism or opposition to Israel's existence as a Jewish state or, or particularly harsh criticisms of Israel or boycotts of Israel to conflate these things with anti-Semitism. Um, and the concern here is in doing this, um, this essentially tars uh, Palestinians as anti-Semitic. It um, tars supporters of Palestinians, Palestinian solidarity rights activists, uh, and could even criminalize uh, Palestinian or pro-Palestinian activism, or at least make it uh, very difficult for them to engage in that kind of activism, particularly on college campuses. So this has become a really a, a really contentious subject, contentious um, in, among Jews as well as uh, in the broader society. And I think it's one of the reasons why the issue of anti-Semitism um, has become so politicized today, precisely because uh, whenever, almost invariably, when we talk about contemporary anti-Semitism, the uh, Israel-Palestine conflict comes up um, and the question of what, where to draw the line uh, between legitimate criticisms of Israel and anti-Semitism is raised. And people draw that line in very different uh, ways. Personally, I think it is important to distinguish between a kind of principled objection to uh, Zionism, a principled anti-Zionism and anti-Semitism. 
while at the same time acknowledging that some versions of anti-Zionism and some expressions of anti-Zionism can be anti-Semitic. So it's just so those who say, well, you know, any it's as long as it's criticism of Israel, it's fine, or as long as it's criticism of Zionism, it's fine. That's wrong. It's possible to be anti-Semitic or to make anti-Semitic statements when criticizing Israel or Zionism, or indeed criticism of Zionism or Israel can be motivated by anti-Semitism. But it's equally wrong to insist that all criticism of Zionism or of Israel is anti-Semitic, as some on the right do. Um, so it's a very difficult area, and I think there's a lot of nuance there. Uh, and it's hard for people to understand exactly when uh, criticisms do cross the line. I, mm. I would say in general, when Israel is being depicted in ways that Jews were, were depicted in classical anti-Semitic uh, literature, when Israel is being accused of uh, manipulating world events from behind the scenes of engaging in these kind of uh, conspiracies, just as Jews have been accused of engaging in conspiracies. Um, these are, uh, this is anti-Semitic. So when Israel is kind of accused of, say, a blood libel, for example, of, of deliberately seeking to kill children and, um, or harvest the organs of Palestinians, some of these uh, allegations that are uh, lobbed at Israel, those things really evoke traditional anti-Semitic charges against Jews. So it's, all, it's, it's, it's right, and in, in fact, I think it's fully appropriate to criticize Israel's treatment of the Palestinians, but it's important to do so uh, in ways that do not evoke or draw upon anti-Semitic stereotypes or tropes or ideas. Well, Colette writes, what about the far-right Hasidic Jews who love Trump? Presumably they are not anti-Semitic. Emily, your thoughts on Colette's point? Yeah, I mean, one of the points that I try to get out of my book is that there are many different um, interpretations of Jewishness and Judaism and many different uh, applications um, of the Jewish teachings and what, and what we individually and collectively define as Jewish values to American politics. So I don't think anybody is saying that Hasidic Jews are, are anti-Semitic. Um, what I am saying, and I, I want to be very clear on this, is that the fact that there are certain conservative Jews who come out and say, well, I wasn't bothered by the fact that you said Jews should vote for me because I supported Israel. That does not make it okay that you said that. The fact that some, not not the the email person, the, the, you know, the politicians, the fact that some... Jews aren't bothered by the fact that you use the word globalist or elitist. Um, you know, that I'm bothered. I'm telling you repeatedly, a lot of us are, that we hear the dog whistles and that we would like you to stop using that language. So um, I don't think that it makes those Jews anti-Semitic or I, and I don't think it means that they're, you know, they're not authentically Jewish, that they're not, uh, of course, in the same way that I would hope that they say that I'm not, you know, a, a fake Jew or not really Jewish enough because of my own views. Um, but, you know, there are, We've been talking about anti-Zionism and anti-Semitism. Relatedly, something that I am very sick of is politicians, you know, really espousing anti-Semitic tropes and then saying, well, look at my relationship to the state of Israel. Okay, well, why don't we look at your relationship to American Jews, to Jews in this country, and to the rhetoric that you're putting out about us? Right. I mean, we just recently had that post from uh, ex-President Trump on his own platform where he said Jews should follow the model of evangelicals and supporting him for all that Trump has done for Israel. I mean, these are very loud megaphones that are are doing what you just described as being sick of, Emily. Um, and it's frightening. Stephanie in Oakland has a comment. Uh, Stephanie, you're on. Go ahead. Hi, can you hear me? Yeah. 
Hi. So um, I appreciate this conversation. Thank you so much. Such an important discussion. A lot of talk, though, about the far right rhetoric, rhetoric on the right, Trump and comments. But I'm a liberal progressive Democrat in Oakland and feel very unwelcome in progressive spaces. And the anti-Semitism that is coming out from the left needs to be talked about. It is veiled very cleverly under anti-Zionism, under criticism of Israel. But when we have politicians, Ilhan Omar and others that are saying it's all about the Benjamins, Israel has hypnotized the world, where's the criticism of that in this conversation? Yeah. Stephanie, thanks. And uh, it is definitely a part of this conversation with regard to, well, Dov, first I'll go to you in regard to how anti-Semitism manifests on the left. And to Stephanie's point, it is frequently in debates over Israel and Zionism and Palestine and so on, right? Absolutely. I mean, I think it's first of all important to acknowledge that anti-Semitism can manifest itself anywhere across the political spectrum. It's it's not uh, limited to the far right, um, nor to the far left. Or, um, so anti-Semitism can occur um, in any kinds of political discussions and debates, and, and particularly um, when it comes to Israel, because Israel is identified and identifies itself as a Jewish state. And so anti-Semitism can absolutely emerge in, in conversations or debates around Israel. And as I noted before, um, anti-Zionism can sometimes be anti-Semitic. And I think the caller is right to point out that one of the concerns that many American Jews have today is the ways in which um, Jews who are Zionists, Jews who identify and support Israel, um, can feel that they are unwelcome in kind of progressive spaces or, or can at least feel that they have to somehow pass a kind of litmus test to be included into progressive spaces, a litmus test that might involve them denouncing Israel, um, that um, there's this um, assumption that somehow that Jews have to explain Israel's actions or justify them or criticize Israel's actions. Um, and this is so, and this is, is an anti-Semitic assumption. So I think um, it, is, uh, an, it is a concerning development, and there's a lot of concern uh, within the Jewish community today about uh, what's happening on some college campuses in that regard and how, um, you know, uh, protests against Israel can end up uh, leading to some Jewish students, particularly those who are most uh, identified with supporting Israel, can lead them to feeling marginalized, excluded or ostracized on campus. That is a, a, a serious issue. But I think we have to also have a sense of perspective and not equate the um, kind of uh, 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 comments by, uh, you know, a few democratic lawmakers, comments that they were that they quickly apologized for and that were denounced by their own uh, leadership in Congress with the kind of much more frequent and ongoing um, mainstreaming of, of anti-Semitic ideas that's happening on the, on the right. Similarly, mm. uh, the, the research shows that anti-Semitism, although people across the political spectrum may hold anti-Semitic beliefs or ideas, um, that, um, it is, that there's much more prevalent uh, anti-Semitism on, among on those who identify as being on the far right than on the left. That anti-Semitism increases uh, along the political spectrum from left to right. Mm. Uh, Emily, you too have also cautioned against equivocating the offenses. Absolutely. And I think, yes, I, I think it's important to note that no one political ideology owns anti-Semitism. I think, um, you know, as we've been talking in this conversation today about how it can manifest in left-wing spaces as well. But there is no equivalence between a comment in, from 2019 that was apologized for 
and the deluge of anti-Semitic comments that we're seen to, that we, we are we we hear from the right that we are then told are not even anti-Semitic, like that, that that are not owned, that are not claimed, that are just pushed farther into the mainstream. I understand. I you know I think it's important to remember that the American Jewish Committee, which itself came under criticism in the Trump years for trying to be bipartisan, for pulling some punches, came came under criticism from some on the the left. Um, put out research saying that the vast majority of American Jews are more concerned about anti-Semitism on the right than on the left. So no, it's not, it's not from just one part of the political spectrum, but the reality is that in this, in the United States right now, right? Not, not throughout space and time right now, at this moment that we are having this discussion, I completely agree. It's, we, we, we just need to call things as they are. I'm not saying that to sound partisan. I'm not saying it to sound polemical, although I might. I'm saying it because this is our reality right now, and I find it very difficult to discuss that reality by pretending it's something it's not, by pretending there's an equivalent where there, where there is none. We're talking with Emily Tampkin and Hal Waxman about the rise of anti-Semitism, its impact, and how to respond. And you are listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We have a few more responses here. Marilee writes, my heart breaks for all the hate in this country towards blacks, Asians, Jews, Native Americans, and others. I'm very disturbed by those who are white Christian nationalists, in quotes, who are parading and pretending to be Christians. Jesus was a Jew. He was not white. What part of love your neighbor as yourself do they not understand? The hate unleashed in the last decade is terribly upsetting. And Elon writes, thanks for the show. It's a topic that is more and more important to cover as issues of public and blatant anti-Semitism increase, even without actual consequences for perpetrators. I wonder if your guests could address the contradictions inherent in the argument regarding anti-Semitism and anti-Zionism is not quite as nuanced as people make it seem. For instance, criticism of the injustices perpetrated by Iran's government do not lead to Iranian Americans being attacked in the streets or mosques being targeted. How can we address the reality of the physical and psychological harm visited on American and Jews, while the perpetrators claim that they're standing up for Palestinian rights. We talked about this, but I don't know if there's anything you wanted to add uh, quickly, Dove, to what Elon Yes, asks. I think, uh, I think um, it, it is important to, you know, to emphasize that um, holding all Jews accountable for the actions of the state of Israel is anti-Semitic, blaming Jews who don't live in Israel for Israel's actions, or even just expecting them to, to answer for them somehow is anti-Semitic. And that, um, you know, particularly um, kind of opposition to Israel can sometimes lead to anti-Semitic attacks against Jews. I mean, we've seen this happen uh, last year when uh, during the uh, violence between Israel and Hamas, uh, where there were anti-Semitic assaults taking place um, uh, in the United States. And certainly uh, in Western Europe, that's been a feature. Whenever there's been an escalation of Israeli-Palestinian violence, that has led to anti-Semitic attacks against Jews. So um, that is a danger, particularly um, as uh, violence between Israel and the Palestinians is escalating right now. Um, and I think it's important to to you know for people to recognise that it's absolutely legitimate to protest Israel to uh, to criticise Israel. Um, but when you're protesting Jews who do not live in Israel or Jewish institutions, when you're targeting them or or painting graffiti on Jewish houses of worship or or other kinds of uh, uh, places that are identified as Jewish, that is anti-Semitic, and people need to be able to recognise the distinction between the state of Israel and the Jewish people. Let me go to caller Rose in Berkeley. Hi, Rose. You're on. Hi. I was. I'm so appreciative of this conversation. I am a black woman, and I am just glad to hear that there, and in, in groups like 
that like our hours, we could be critical of the different and varieties that we all kind of exist in from our own personal experiences. And so I'm just glad that, you know, we're having this conversation and that being critical about these things bring about discernment. I mean, I would not like to be under the same umbrella necessarily as Herschel Walker or Kanye West, but I can still embrace being a black person and enjoying and celebrating that. Um, so I'm really glad to hear that this conversation is happening. I feel like oh. there's a lot of tiptoeing around it. And I just am really glad to hear the, the variety of opinions on this on this topic. So thank you for having this conversation. Rose, well, thank you for that, that comment and for reminding us all that categories are, are categories and, and we are not monoliths, especially um, if we are marginalized in some ways. I guess the, the last question I have, Emily, is, is just really about the response. And given all the connections that we are making even today to anti-Semitism and the systems that fuel racism against Black people and other people of color and Indigenous communities and so on, like, what is, what is the right response? I don't know if that's the right way to put it, but just like, how do we respond and how do we hold people accountable for bigotry and, and how do we as communities also do that too without bearing the responsibility for the attacks against us? Yeah, I just want to say three quick things. The first is that, I mean, I, I just wrote a book about how Jews are not a monolith. That's a part about how Jews are not a monolith. <laughs> right. And so I hope that, you know, I, I, I really want us to come away from this recognizing the pluralism and, and diversity within not just yes. American Jewish, but many communities. The second is that just to stress that when I say that Jews as white people have have benefited under the law. I'm not saying that there hasn't been discrimination, quotas, oppression, et cetera. I'm speaking strictly in a legal sense throughout U.S. history. And then the third thing is, again, I really want to reiterate, want to reiterate that if you look at the way in which anti-Semitism works today, it works in concert with other hatreds. And so I think when we say, you know, um, it's, you know, oh, we're speaking for anti-Semitism, we're speaking about racism, we're speaking about homophobia, we need to look at these things in tandem and that um, we will solidarity our way out of this, I hope. Mm -hmm. In tandem, solidarity. Solidarity, Dov, 10 seconds. Absolutely, I agree with Emily. I think we need to, to, be, to fight these multiple racisms together rather than individually. I think we shouldn't allow efforts to divide the different communities, but working together, calling them, calling it out, and ultimately trying to delegitimize any form of racism, whether it be against Jews, Muslims, Black people, Asians, or any. And the only way to do that is by working together. Dov Waxman, political science professor at UCLA, Emily Tamkin. Her book is Bad Jews. Check it out. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Did you ever wonder what it's like to live alone? hidden in the woods, not speaking to a single soul for 30 years. Or wander the desert, uncover a hidden well, and dive to the bottom of the deepest water hole for 2,000 miles. The Snap Judgment Podcast takes you there with amazing stories told by the people who live them, with an original soundscape that drops you directly into their shoes. Snap Judgment. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.